If you missed the last episode of Catalyst, go back and listen. If you're caught up, here's where we left off. He was never judged as the cross-dresser that he was. Do you feel like any of this was related to Jimmy Mayberry's lifestyle? Back then, it, it probably was. I remember hearing the story that uh, Jamie had left the house on his own and never returned. And I know they began an investigation uh, on a missing person. Just by what I've read, uh, it was handled uh, appropriately. And they even brought in uh, the Texas Rangers back then to help out. We just really never had much to go on. We interviewed a lot of people. We searched some places that, you know, we heard rumors. In cases like that, what you can hope for is that somebody gets in trouble somewhere in a bind and says, well, you know, I have information on this if you help me out. Heidi Seaman went to spend the night with a friend. She was walking home and she never made it. In August of 1990, Heidi Seaman was snatched from near her San Antonio home. Friends, family, and strangers took part in an extensive search. And Heidi's parents, of course, immediately sprang into action to try to find her. We want the person that took Heidi to know that it's not okay to just come and take a child. It's not okay. In fact, the entire city of San Antonio and the nation, at one point there was 300,000 people searching for Heidi. Rescue workers from the local military began their efforts at dawn this morning, quickly attracting hundreds to help look for 11-year-old Heidi Seaman. Three weeks later, her badly decomposed body was discovered, wrapped in a trash bag in this Wimberley area field. Unfortunately, she was found deceased and her murder has never been solved. just want to say thank you and we hope that uh, through this search center uh, people will remember and we will be able to hopefully prevent this from ever happening to anybody else because I don't want to see anybody go through what we've gone through. The Heidi Search Center um, existed for 27 years and helped families with missing loved ones. So whether it was to help conduct a search, to coordinate with police, to handle the crisis management issues that a family goes through, we were there for the families in whatever way they needed us. What is happening with the Heidi Search Center now? The Heidi Search Center was closed in January um, of 2018 due to too many cases and not enough funding. We donated our building to another nonprofit. They've agreed to keep all of our files safe. We've been searching for a couple of hours, but so far, nothing. The files now, they're discombobulated. They're all safe, they're all stored, they're dry and in perfect condition, but they're not in order. <laughs> and there's 4,000 of them. We're just taking our time. Nothing? Not yet. One of those files was the April 1999 disappearance of Jamie Mayberry from Kennedy, Texas. While it's been tough to nail down a specific timeline of when police ramped up their efforts to find Jamie, I learned one of his sisters had contacted the Heidi Search Center not long after he went missing. The group organized a massive search with dozens of volunteers throughout the area, and it went on for five days. Here it is. Found it. Luckily, Dottie Laster, the search center's last executive director, still had access to the files. 
and she let us dig through the boxes with her for hours until we found Jamie's case. All right, James Jamie Mayberry. Considering police had given us very little, I wasn't sure there'd be much to see here either. Here are those pictures. Yeah. I'm glad I was wrong. So this shows kind of the terrain, I guess, that they thought he could be in. And um, the number there means that he went missing in 1999, and he was the 84th person that we had a case on that year. And uh, these are volunteers. Those are the vests that I was describing to make sure everybody is really well visible. And you can see how many people are just really just inches apart so that literally there's no way they could miss things. And things they would be looking for would be tied to that description. Do they find a packet of cigarettes that was described or money, or the purse or the, um, or the tennis shoe or the shirt? So they're not only looking for a person, but they're looking for anything that could be tied to that person. Page after page chronicling those early days, even before the search center got involved and started printing flyers. Just seeing the handwriting, it's just so personal. We found a homemade flyer put together by someone in Jamie's family, handwritten, probably in desperation, during the time they felt like police weren't doing enough. It was pretty hard to get me choked up, <laughs> but that does it every time. Because I know that's when they're hopeless and they've done everything they should and they're down to writing it out, asking for help from anybody that'll listen. As we kept flipping through the file, we saw maps starting around Jamie's house, where he'd last been seen, then day by day spreading out. So they're making note, I guess, of areas of interest to search, um, the hillside near the prison. Uh, there's another mention of an old cemetery. I'd been to that cemetery earlier during my stay in Kennedy. It's on the edge of town. I run a few head of cattle on here. Stephen Monsevais spends a lot of time in the pasture across the fence, near the rows of older graves. I just holler out and they'll start headed for the feed troughs thinking I got something for them to eat. You want to hear it? Yeah. Woo! See how I got their attention? They all stopped grazing. He leases that land for the cows these days, but he says he often finds himself thinking about why he was there back in 1999. Once a Kennedy police officer, Montevice had already moved on to another agency by then, but he still lived in town and says he was good friends with the police chief, the one who died a few years ago. So when that chief called him up and told him about a rumor Jamie's body might be hidden in the cemetery, they decided to meet there. Just everybody doing their best to try to see if we could locate him. It sounds like the entire town really came out to search. Yes, sir. The, the city, several citizens, the sheriff's department, uh, the Heidi Search Center came out. I think they were searching in, in quadrants, you know. And that day they were searching this area, and I came out and, and I was with the chief of police at the time. And we did some searching in the area, see if we could locate anything. What was the thought that he might be in this cemetery or this area? You know, somebody trying to hide if he's deceased, you know, trying to hide his body or, or you know, try to hide evidence. You know, a fresh piece of clothing, a torn piece of clothing, a shoe, just anything that you wouldn't normally find in a cemetery. Investigations are like a puzzle. You know, you're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together to get an answer. Would you have done anything differently with the investigation yourself if you had been in charge of it? I think knowing what I know now, 
probably because I've got a whole lot more experience. I've had some, some different training. I can't say I would, wouldn't do the exact same thing that the chief did at the time, but I may have, you know, done maybe a few more things different. Yes, sir. Like? Uh, you know, when you interview somebody, I always do face-to-face -face interviews because you read body language that way. At least I do when I, when I interview people. You know, uh, you get an impression of somebody's being honest and straight with you, or they're trying to tell you a story and be deceiving. Especially when you ask the tough question, you know, point blank. You want to see the reaction. The chief told you he interviewed someone over the phone? Yes, sir, he, he did. Was it impossible to interview that man in person at that time? I wouldn't say impossible as much as he probably didn't have the resources to, to get where the guy was, was located at, um, being the small city. From what you understand, where was that man at that time? Suppose he was located in Chicago, Illinois. So that's, that's, you know, where I was told he was located. Did he just get out of town fast? He left town a few days after, uh, you know, Mr. Mayberry came up missing. And as a police officer, that would send up a little clue why. The man he's talking about is someone named Johnny Farias. I haven't told you yet that most of what the city of Kennedy had given us from Jamie's missing persons report was just basic information, what was on the front page. But there was something else. Two sections down at the bottom. The first is labeled witnesses' names. It says see statements. We never got those. Below that, there's a section labeled suspects' names. And there were three people listed there. I brought it up to the current police chief and the detective who's now on the case. I had the offense report. I just noticed that there were three suspect names on there. Have those people been talked to, these three here? Yeah, they were spoke to uh, back then as well, and then uh, when it was first brought up. As of today, we have no suspects. We have no persons of interest. We have. Uh, we do have one or two people that maybe can give us information that we would like to. But. The three of us were sitting around a table in the chief's office. Have you reached out to these three people? I slid the report across to Detective Felix Casanova, and he pointed to the first name, Johnny Farias. <clears throat> this is, if, if I remember right, this is the individual that's supposed to be in Chicago. What we've been able to piece together is that Johnny's apparently the guy who mistook Jamie for a woman at the bar the night before Jamie went missing. Police, family, witnesses, they all had a similar story. When Johnny discovered the truth, he didn't like it, and that might have caused some trouble at the bar. We heard that he might have skipped town shortly after the disappearance, and today, we can't find him at all, and neither can police. This is the individual that's not in good health anymore. The detective then pointed to the second name, Albert Farias, Johnny's cousin. Last time I saw him, he's not in the best of health. Uh, he suffered a major stroke, and it's hard to understand him when he speaks. If I would try to talk to him, would I have a hard time trying to understand what he's trying to tell me? Uh, my answer to that would probably be yes. Uh, would I be able to understand him saying, yeah, this person's the one that did it. Uh, how do you know that he did? I wouldn't be, uh, be able to understand him just by my last visit with him, which was maybe uh, close to a year ago. And he said, because he doesn't live here in Kennedy anymore. He lives about 100 miles uh, south of, of Kennedy. So, uh, to me, for me to say that he's the best person to talk to, I can't give you 100% that, that he would be that person. 
We check court records, and Albert has a lengthy criminal history, including assaulting a police officer and even threatening to kill that officer's wife. All things I'd like to ask him about. So we've tracked down several possible phone numbers. Hello? Hey there, I'm looking for Albert Farias. You have reached a non-working number. He's apparently moved away from Kennedy. The person you are trying to reach is not accepting calls at this time. We think he might be living with his brother in Alice, Texas. Do you know where I might be able to find him? Yeah. His brother has given us a phone number. Your call has been forwarded. So we have left a message. I haven't heard back from Albert Farias. And there's also that third name on the suspect list. I promise I'll come back to it later. But here's something I need to connect for you right now. Going through the file back at the search center, I came across several people with that last name, Farias. It wasn't Johnny or Albert. Still, it's a small town, and the name Farias was all over the list of volunteers from the community who came out to help look for Jamie. Many times that's the case. Many times the reason we save all these records and they're so important is that the people that are responsible for the missing will be there in the searches. We tried tracking down everyone named Farias who'd signed the search center logs, but no luck. The other name that stuck out was Mayberry, Jamie's family members. The rumors were first started off that he's right under y'all's nose and you will never find him. And then a rumor came and said, you should maybe search in that field over here. Jamie's brother Terry and their niece Gina took me down the path where they looked with other Heidi Search Center volunteers near the family home 20 years ago. What I was told in days that went by with the Heidi Search Center, and uh, it was pretty much we were looking for a, a deceased body. Uh, as hard as it might seem, we, that's, that's what I was looking for. Uh, and we wanted to find it. We wanted some type of closure in some way because we really didn't believe Jamie would have done what he did, what they said, and he just took off and disappeared like that. It, it's no way. And uh, my whole heart told me that we were going to find him somewhere back here. And it was, oh, God, I hope I don't find anything. I hope I don't find Jamie, mm -hmm. you know, because... You wanted that belief that he, he was still alive. As days passed, the family started to focus not only on where Jamie was, but also what happened to him and who did it. Now in this area back over here, we did a big search over there. I mean, almost a whole day long. And uh, people came and joined us and we searched all in this area over here. Uh, and it was, it was pretty high grass at that time. Uh, and so we all had sticks and we would be poking around and uh, like I say, I just, at that point I was really hoping that I didn't find anything more than I wished I did find something. These people here and the neighbors all joined us and came out and we were all back here maybe another full day. The whole town almost shut down and everybody was bringing food and and, and, and water and stuff like that. And uh, we just started pairing up into groups and we just took off, you know. We were split up. And you can't help but think like, Yes. Um, am I walking with the killer? I remember coming back, all of us, and we met yeah. back at the house when we came to just the immediate family. And I remember we all were saying, yeah. hey, man, uh, 
where'd y'all go? And where'd y'all go? It was like, man, but I couldn't get comfortable because yeah. there were some guys we really didn't kind of really hang out with or know. I really didn't think they even knew the Mayberries that much and all that, you know? And, uh, you know, I just felt, I didn't want to be, I didn't want anybody to be in back of me because we had pointy little sticks and, 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 and spikes and things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I, and I told everybody, else, I told them to get in front, you know, and so I trailed, but I, I felt bad because I had to like look at everybody at the same time. And I, I don't think it should have been like that, mm -hmm. you know? I didn't feel comfortable. comfortable and then you, you also, you feel like you could be walking with the killer, but then you also feel like you could still be walking with someone who knows. Like just even and being around someone who knows um, and they're not telling you, like someone who actually knows the secret or knows what happened, yeah. that too, um, it just feels weird. And that was a time uh, someone changed our direction. And I even got suspicious of that, you know, and it was, uh, hey, hey, let's, let's check off this way, this way, you know, and it yeah. was people who we don't really, really, really know, you know. Maybe seen them before or whatever, or the cousin to this or that, but it was, I remember that. And, mm -hmm. and we stopped and we went that way, you know, and I was like, well, it's kind of like they're trying to steer you away. It was that. From... I was, we were just suspicious of everything, mm -hmm. everybody. You know what I mean? Uh, well, you don't know who to trust. Yeah. At that point. People know exactly what happened to my brother. They do. You know that people are just keeping secrets, and you think, how do they sleep at night? How do they sleep at night when they know what happened to someone that they know was a good person? Even coming down here today, I probably cross paths or even still today talk to some people who might have done it or know who did it, you know, no doubt in my mind, you know, and that's, that weighs on me a lot. Nothing turned up during the search. Jamie's file was one of the few the Heidi Search Center still had open when it closed last year. Dottie says 98% of their cases had some sort of resolution. For a family to have their loved one missing and that case to never be solved, it's hell on earth, it's torture. Every moment they think, if I stop to eat lunch, I might miss a chance to see my loved one again. Every time they try to sleep, they think, how can I go to sleep when my loved one could be suffering and I don't know where they are? They start to lose their jobs, their finances, There's implosion within their family from the stress and maybe even disagreement about what to do. It doesn't get better with time. They don't learn how to deal with it. It stays with them. And it's so bad that even if the loved one is deceased, they want to know. It's not better to not know. And I don't think unless you've been there, you can understand. And after a while, she says, it can feel like the support from the police and the community has disappeared too. That's why the search center worked to update its open cases regularly. Like in Jamie's file, she pointed to an entry from more than a decade after he was last seen, from 2010. When the group took, from what I've since learned, perhaps the biggest step in advancing the case and getting it in front of a national audience by adding him to something called NamUs. Next time. 
NamUs is the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. The program is operated here in Fort Worth. So if we look at Jamie's case, we can see that he was last uh, seen leaving his home with an unknown male on April 1st of 1999. We've had family members of missing persons come into the NamUs database, search through the unidentified decedents, and essentially solve their own cases. Be sure to check out the interactive investigation Mayberry, Texas, online at mayberrymissing.com. You'll learn so much more about this case and many others across the state. Catalyst is reported, produced, and edited by me, Josh Hinkle, along with Sarah Rafik, Arzo Dost, and Andrew Choate. Digital support comes from Dax Dobbs, Eric Henriksen, Nate Mills, Matt Mitchell, Ricardo Ruano, Robert Sims, and Kate Winkle. KXAN's news director is Chad Cross, and its vice president and general manager is Eric Glassberg.